Welcome back, everyone. This is Eric Ellison with the Digital Education Podcast. And if you've followed me over the last number of years, this podcast started as a dare from a friend who kind of called the BS on me that he didn't think I was talking to cool educators like I get to. And I'm blessed that I have incredible friends in this space. The second thing you'll know is that we started over, over you know, really the pandemic especially when I was stuck inside and then, you know, stuck in the hospital, start doing these short kind of series um, where we do 10, 15 minute conversations with people on just a single issue. And so I want to return to that a little bit in this next kind of series of, of kind of conversations. And, and it really is around the new book that I had to be, I had the opportunity to kind of be a tag along partner to, um, in the research, and it's called Future Ready, Innovative Missions and Models in Christian Education. And my perspective is that a lot can be learned for education in general, but this was specifically focused in on 11 Christian schools where we did research, and you can read the book, and you can get all of the nuts and bolts about the research side of things. But I wanted to start talking about with the authors and then with some of the participants in the research, lessons that they took from the research. And so I'm with my buddy, Matt Lee. And Matt, I'm not going to tell the Milwaukee story when we dropped you off for coffee. <laughs> we'll come back to that another time. But I want to jump right in with you and just ask you the question of what would be a hope and a desire as an author, as part of the research team, as someone who got to visit a bunch of these schools? Like, how would you want someone to read this? Like what would be the tip and how to read, how to use this book to better maybe inspire the work that people are doing in their schools? You know, if it weren't for that Milwaukee story, I wouldn't be here to share my, my uh, takeaways and findings right now. So, uh, but yeah, no, that's a, a story for another time. Uh, for me, I would say uh, the way that I think about research, quantitative research is usually all about what's probable and qualitative research is all about what's possible. So this is a book that is all about what is possible for Christian schools. And so my encouragement for uh, Christian school leaders and teachers and educators all over the world would be to look at this book and to um, you know, get your creative juices flowing. Think about the, uh, the ideas that can be generated from what you read here and the possibilities for what your school can do. I love that so much because, uh, yeah, I'm not going to go any further. So when you look at what's possible and when you look at what gets those creative kind of energies going for you or or just the, the, the thought process of what might be or what could be, is there like one or two of the, of the stories in the book or, or two of the one or two of the schools that you say, hey, you know what? Dig deeper here because this really even inspired me. Yeah, so my takeaways from this book, I, there, there were so many cool lessons from you know so many great schools doing a lot of different things, and um, I, I would say for, for me, two two schools that are doing things that I had just never even thought of before, but that are not only going to create new possibilities for existing schools but also reinventing and reimagining what's possible for the schools that don't even exist yet, the up and coming schools that are uh, looking to try the new thing. So the first thing I'm going to share is from Hope Academy up in Minneapolis. 
Uh, this is a school that uh, they did what's called the kingdom flip is how they call it, right? So if you think about the traditional private school uh, financing model, you're you're going to rely something like 90% on tuition revenues. And that last 10% is going to be covered by, by charitable giving. And oftentimes you might have uh, one or two big, big donors or, or, or families that are contributing quite a lot there. And what they did with the Kingdom Flip is we're going to try to make, make a private Christian education, a high quality private Christian education, uh, possible, accessible, affordable for more and more families. And the way that we're going to do that is to flip that financial model to say 90% covered by uh, by uh, charitable giving and uh, the, the last 10% is going to be covered by tuition. And so the way they do that is not by partnering with one or two major donors that are going to give huge seven, maybe even eight eight figure gifts, depending on the school. I don't know. Uh, but they're going to rely on dozens and dozens of partners that are making uh, smaller gifts that are still sacrificial and meaningful and making a world of difference to the families that are benefiting from that. So we're talking about gifts in the order of, of more like four figures or five figures. Uh, and you rely on more donors and that that spreads out the risk of losing um, losing a donor over, over the course of uh, from year to year. Um, it also, the way that they do it, creates these wonderful opportunities for fellowship and partnership between uh, the families that are, are giving charitably to the school and the families that are benefiting from this. Uh, so you have uh, opportunities for connection between uh, the, the giving families and the receiving families so that they can uh, develop relationships that are meaningful over the course of the school year, over, over the course of many school years, uh, depending on how long those partnerships last. And then uh, you still have that last 10 percent is going to be covered by um, by tuition. So. Uh, tuition ends up being uh, a lot less than you would find at a traditional private school, but you still have some uh, quote unquote skin in the game as it were. So there's still some investment from uh, the families that are going there uh, to uh, put put their own stake in the school and invest in the school, not only in terms of their, their children, uh, but in terms of their own financial contributions to the school as well. So I love that model, the, the kingdom flip in, in terms of making uh, Christian education more accessible and more possible for more families out there. Um, the second thing that I thought was uh, really cool, um, new educational frontier idea that's uh, up and coming right now is the idea of hybrid schooling or micro schooling. Uh, one school in particular uh, did this really well. It's Chattanooga Christian School in uh, Chattanooga, Tennessee. Uh, so the idea with the micro school is if you're looking to um, plant a new school or expand your school, uh, a lot of the times you got a lot of uh, upfront sunk costs. So you gotta you have to find facilities. Uh, you have to find all your teachers and your curriculum and, and your back office stuff. And uh, all of that can be really, really expensive. And so um, the, the most challenging uh, years for schools, oftentimes the first or second year when they're having to face all of these uh, upfront costs without having uh, a, a stable student enrollment for, for uh, a few years now. The micro school model says we're going to create something uh, by using facilities that exist already. So Chattanooga Christian has partnered with uh, historic, uh, historic churches that have um, buildings in downtown Chattanooga um, and uh, the, the the benefit there is now these churches are generating some uh, rental income with um, a facility that's mostly laying unused during the week. If these churches are uh, mostly using the facilities for Sunday uh, worship services, uh, but then you also avoid for Chattanooga Christian the upfront costs of having to develop these new facilities and build a new building or something like that. Um, and with the, the the hybrid school trend that really emerged during COVID, uh, it sits somewhere between. Um, 
a, a homeschool co-op and a full-fledged uh, K-12 five-day private private school program where uh, you probably have in-person instruction, maybe two days a week, maybe three days, three days a week. But you also have uh, this partnership where the the parents are heavily involved in the kids' education. So uh, a little more than ho- homeschooling, a little less than private schooling. It sits right in that happy medium. And so the micro school model makes it uh, really possible to do something that's uh, unique, that's um, even more affordable for more families, because we're talking about uh, c- cutting down on, on some of the personnel costs by having it uh, as a part time basis as opposed to a full five-day-a-week basis. Um, And I I think this is something that really uh, took off during COVID, and it's just a a cool idea. And um, I think something that's really cool about these two ideas, too, is in my mind, I I can't see why it's not possible to combine both of these models together. So I'm thinking about, um, you know, uh, families that want to organize something, maybe churches that want to start an education ministry, uh, but they're uh, the, the, the upfront costs of building a five-day new facility, five-day-a-week school is prohibitive for them to start this new program, even though they've got great ideas and great families to partner with. So why not have something like a micro school or a hybrid school where you're meeting two or three times a week, and you're also partnering with a church uh, to use their facility. You've also got uh, a whole bunch of donors that are helping to cover the costs of tuition. That's going to be, I think, probably closer to a third or or a quarter of the cost of of, uh, tuition in a traditional private school. And uh, I think this is a really exciting possibility for uh, a lot of folks who are interested in um, taking more control over their their uh, children's education uh, and and in some way avoiding the, the prohibitive upfront costs of having to develop um, brand new facilities right from the start. Well, it, it, okay, because you took a jump. You took a big jump to push people to a place that is interesting and it is really becoming part of our conversation. Because if you go back to the Chattanooga Christian, right, it's five days a week. Yeah. And, and it is for students who generally, um, uh, you know, I think we, we saw, you know, a couple couple communities where they were doing these micro schools where, you know, some of the poorer communities without the lack of resources where parents are working that they said, hey, we need to meet a need in this community so parents can work and students can get a great education that then we can provide. So it is. So you took a big jump there from the Chattanooga Christian because that's one of Chattanooga's things was, hey, we're going to provide a Chattanooga Christian education in these locations for students who wouldn't necessarily be able to, that wouldn't necessarily be accessible in our traditional system. And so they're creating kind of efficiency. So, so you encouraged people to like jump it, right. And to like go to these places. Um, What would be your encouragement if, if you're talking to a school, because some of this is about building community. I think like one of the things that you looked at and you point out with, with uh, you know Hope Academy in Minneapolis and then the Chattanooga, it is a bigger view of community than is often traditionally seen with schools. Like what would be your push to an existing school to be able to say what's possible for you as you go and not just kind of seek to serve students, but to actually build a vibrant and broader community? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so I would th- say first, it's not a huge jump in my mind. I think it's two flavors of the same model. 
Uh, I think, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right in terms of the practical logistical ramifications of what that looks like to run uh, a part-time uh, micro school versus uh, a full, full-time full five-day-a-week uh, school that's um, being housed in another facility. Practically, very different implications. But in terms of the model, I think, uh, thinking creatively, again, about what's possible for Christian education looking into the future, I think they stem from the same root here. Um, I, I guess I would say for existing Christian school leaders, you're already leading a Christian school. A lot of what we found with this research uh, was that uh, being engaged with your community was a big part of why a lot of these current school leaders, teachers, educators had a lot of confidence that their school was going to continue to be relevant and financially sustainable into the future. So, um, you know, if you're not growing with your community, you might find yourself in, you know, maybe it might take 10 or 15 years or 20 years, but you might find yourself not being as relevant to your immediate community uh, anymore. And that might be because of, uh, you know, demographic shifts or economic shifts in the area, whatever it might be, uh, political possibilities in terms of programs opening up. Uh, if you're not staying relevant to your community, you might uh, you might find that you're not relevant to your community anymore. That's going to undermine your sustainability. So one of the ways in which you continue to uh, not only serve your existing student body, but find ways to, to continue to serve the broader community and to uh, expand the, the, the reach and the influence of your school in your area is by thinking of ways to, hey, what are, what are the students that we're not reaching? Where are they? How can they benefit from a whatever your school name is experience, because we believe that the product that we're offering is compelling. It is from a biblical worldview. It helps reach students for Christ. How can we share that with more students in our area? And I think both uh, the, the Hope Minneapolis uh, Kingdom Flip model and the Chattanooga Christian partnering with these um, churches in, in uh, areas that they're not currently serving, uh, they're both great ideas for how schools can expand the influence of their of their school to reach uh, a broader uh, swath of their local community. Uh, Matt, this is incredible. And, and since you get to go first on the podcast for this series, what's a question I should ask Lynn and John to dig deeper on? That's a great question. Uh, you're putting me on the spot there. I guess I'd ask Lynn about, uh, you know, her choice of cover. I was I was personally disappointed not to see the uh, the drones that we suggested there. I don't know about you, Eric. Um, I, I mean, I think these are great questions uh, to ask John and Eric as uh, I'm sorry, John and Lynn as well. I think um, I'm 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 really curious and excited to hear what they have to say because I think the four of us experienced the study in four different ways. You know, coming from different degrees of experience with Christian education in terms of uh, personal, uh, if if you've gone through Christian education or, or taught in a Christian school. Um, you know, mine's mine's been more of an academic sense in terms of studying Christian schools, but um, and then in terms of uh, the, the the place places in our lives that our, our kids are too, thinking about more personally uh, about how our our own children have or could benefit from a Christian education. So I think all of those things helped all four of us to experience the study in a different way. And so I think I think the question's a good one for, to 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 get a, a totally different answer from Lynn and John, and I'm really excited to hear what they have to say. But I, I'm all in on the drones rather than the paper airplanes. So we got it. Matt, thanks so much for, for joining me for this conversation. Eric, thanks for having me.